0: Hey guys, it's Michael James Wong, founder of Just Breathe. And before we start today's podcast, a quick heads up on the new Just Breathe app. It's simple and easy to use with guided meditations, music, and soundtracks created and recorded specifically to calm the mind and ease the body. And now with the ability to customize the length of your practice. We've literally put the power of mindfulness in the palm of your hand, and even more, it's free. We've created this app as a way to support our growing community And whether you're a regular meditator or it's brand new for you, know that just breathe is for anyone and everyone, ready to step into a quieter conversation.
1: Hi, I'm Holly Rubin. I'm a psychotherapist, mental health practitioner, body image specialist, and your host of Tough Love. So how do you see yourself when you look in the mirror? Or more specifically, how do you feel about how you look? Each week, I'll be looking into this concept, asking extraordinary women about their ever-evolving relationship with body image and how their experiences have shaped who they are today. From the world of motherhood to disability and everything in between, these are the women on a mission to change the relationship that women have with their bodies. Welcome to Tough Love. My guest today is Susie Redding, chartered psychologist, yoga teacher, health coach, and all-around self-care expert. Like me, Susie is a mom of young children, and I can't wait to chat to her about the demands of motherhood when it comes to body image, from changing bodies during pregnancy to the pressures of having to snap back post-birth. Susie's passion for self-care was sparked by her life experience of motherhood colliding with terminal illness of her father, something she now teaches to her clients, both young and old. Susie's warm, compassionate energy makes her a very special voice in the industry, and I am so pleased to have her here today. Welcome, Susie, and thank you so much for coming.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Holly.
1: It's a great pleasure. Excellent. So, what an introduction for such a special person. So, how can you give me a little bit of background on your experience and how um, how you've
2: come to where you are okay um, I've always felt like a nurturer I've always wanted to help people become their best self so that's why I originally trained as a psychologist through chance I didn't actually practice as a psychologist uh, for the first, seven years of my career mm-hmm. when I moved to London mm-hmm. there were parts of my degree that weren't recognized by the BPS mm-hmm. and I didn't plan to be here for a long period of time and I fell back on to the the part-time job that I had as I was going through university working as a personal trainer and what I didn't realize is that Australian PTs were held in such high regard in this country mm-hmm. and I found myself running a really thriving practice um, working with people from all different ages um, But I I never felt like my goal as a trainer was to to create a certain shape. Mm -hmm. It was always about how to help build a positive relationship with yourself to develop self-insight, tenderness, care, Mm -hmm. appreciation. And while I could see other trainers measuring progress and looking at you know, that the stats, I was more interested in how my clients were standing mm-hmm. and holding themselves and talking to themselves mm-hmm. and feeling about themselves. Um, and it's so
1: unique, Susie, to just be able to say those things um, and consider the job title perhaps that you had, because again, this is, it is unique. We don't tend to see personal trainers having that level of insight and that motivation, which
2: is very different. I say all of that with the benefit of hindsight, mm-hmm. because I, I, at the time I could still feel I, I still felt this sense of I'm, I'm not doing things the way that everyone else are doing them, mm-hmm. so that there was a sense of feeling like the odd one out. But I knew what I was offering was really powerful, and it was beautiful seeing that transformation in people's lives, mm-hmm. and you know down to helping someone reclaim a sense of connection with their their back body mm-hmm. and how that translated into a sense of they have their own back or there was a lady in her 50s where she wanted to get back into running and she said she was so excited that she was able to run for the bus and get on it and this is this is so empowering but at the time I still felt like is this okay but then really it was it was life experience becoming a mom at the same time as as losing my dad that I really understood how vital it is to um develop that self-soothing capacity and help other people connect with their calm abiding center. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear about that, that that was a challenging piece of, of your journey. Um,
1: and I do definitely want to hear a lot about that. And I'm very interested in the fact that you were coming from a, a profession which is very focused on the physical, right, and very focused on the body, strictly in terms, well physically Mm -hmm. but what you were doing through that was integrating um -hmm. not just the mind but the emotion and the psychology really behind the underlying elements right right, which was ultimately Mm -hmm. self-worth and and Mm -hmm. self-esteem and by building that from the outside you were able to i guess see how those two elements came together and that's very Mm much i'm I'm keeping with you in terms of Working from the inside out, which is the work that I do as well as a therapist, right? We're of course we're focused on the external because that's um, often what society sees and what they deem as important. But at the end, we know that feeling good about who we are inside um, ultimately will be reflected on
2: the outside. Absolutely, yeah. I sort of jokingly called it therapy by stealth or treadmill therapy. Mm. And I think people feel love super comfortable engaging a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. There's no stigma about that. Exactly. Whereas if I were to market myself as a psychologist at that time, so many of those people would have said, uh-uh, I don't need that. But they were getting that anyway. Absolutely. And I love that I could be of service in a way that people didn't feel uncomfortable about, self-conscious about. One of my yeah.
1: favorite supervisors said to me when I was doing my master's, So I did my master's in psychotherapy and counseling at NYU. And I'll never forget this. She said, if you can help somebody without them realizing that they're being helped or the way that they think they're being helped, you know that you've got this. And that's exactly what that makes me think of. You were really able to to nurture as well as physically. And that's two for one there. Yeah. So when you talked about this collision um, in terms of, early motherhood as well as um the passing of your dad can you how did that happen for you how did
2: that unfold it was a really long drawn-out period so we moved back to australia because i was desperate to go home and spend some time with my parents and that's where we wanted to start a family and sort of in my head i thought that that would be the easy path Mm -hmm. right uh-uh. it turned out to be really really tough it was really clear from when we first got back that my dad was very unwell and as uh, as a doctor himself mm-hmm. he was really working hard to try and find out what was going wrong but there were no definitive answers and even after he had a breathing failure they still couldn't tell us why mm-hmm. um, so he had a breathing failure um, on the same date that my daughter was due to mm-hmm. be born and she arrived a week later, and it was a week of saying last goodbyes to dad. He was intubated and sedated, and there was no way of knowing what was going on. So, incredibly traumatic. Um, and that, I think, contributed to what I feel was quite a traumatic birth yes. because I felt energetically spent before going into labour, and you can imagine how I felt afterwards. Yeah. Um, and he survived for 15 months. Wow. So um, four months in intensive care and then to a rehab hospital and then to a high-level um, nursing home with trips to hospital in between. Wow. It's a very long, drawn-out period of stress. And, you know, at the same time as learning how to, to be a parent, losing a parent effectively, because while Dad did reclaim the ability to breathe, he um, he, he never was... was like his own self again and my poor mum was so he couldn't speak for himself so my mum had to be his advocate and wow. for that first four months that he was in intensive care my mum seven days a week went to be by his side wow. from nine in the morning till five the whole
0: wow. the
2: whole shebang so I sort of felt like for a time I lost my mum too Yes, she was incredibly helpful wow. I was living with my mum at the time, so okay. When she got home, she would hold Charlotte and I would sleep and I don't know how we would have weathered it without each other. Mm -hmm. A really tough time, but from that, I've learned so much. Mm -hmm. And um, it was in working with a postnatal depression counsellor. And to be honest with you, I don't know whether it was PND. I don't know whether it was grief or whether it was exhaustion. The way I describe it is just energetic bankruptcy. I literally had nothing in the tank. Yeah. and my GP said to me okay well you can minimize stress or, or consider antidepressants and I thought you know what I, I'm just having a normal human response to a really toxic set yeah. variables I can't imagine anyone else feeling any differently to how uh-huh. I am right now yeah. and I was coping I wasn't having a lot of fun I was getting through my day so uh-huh. I thought right let's let's try a different path and it was that PND counselor who said to me what's in your self-care toolkit hmm. I'm like that was the first time I actually heard that term, mm-hmm. self-care. Mm-hmm. It was six years of study, to master's level in psychology. And I'd never heard, mm-hmm. I'd never heard that term. No, but I think, I mean, that was such a, yeah, I mean, okay. turning point. It's huge, huge. From birth and t- pregnancy and
1: all of that is so taxing as it is, and it's so disorienting for new mothers and this was your first right also right. so that whole newness around mm-hmm. all the body changes and all the physical emotional hormonal all of that together mm-hmm. is what a person not going through your situation feels mm-hmm. I can't even imagine the additional stress on you and the additional um, just heaviness for you that, that it was I mean fact that you called the
2: way you did was really incredible the learning came thick and fast mm-hmm. and deep mm-hmm. and I just feel like that that is the thing that's really accelerated this journey mm-hmm. so while it was incredibly tough mm-hmm. at the time there have been some incredible silver linings. Mm-hmm. And we and learned learned so much. For that. Yeah, you learn yeah. so much
1: from those difficult times. We of course don't choose to put ourselves in them, right? But when we talk about resilience and you talk about what you can actually do and see yourself do, there's a, a lot of mm-hmm.
2: empowerment, I'm sure, around that too. Yeah, absolutely. And just understanding. So for me as a psychologist and, and a yoga teacher and, and a personal trainer, I had a vast array of nourishing tools mm-hmm. at my fingertips reach, mm-hmm. and I still wound up front on my back. Mm-hmm. And that for me is just, it, it's been so important to highlight that no one is immune, and it doesn't matter what you've got in your arsenal until you've been tested by life. That's, you, you don't understand the real value of self-care, the need for self-care. And also, in those times of, of crisis, of turmoil, of stress, what often often happens is the stuff that you normally do to replenish yourself, become completely inaccessible. Goes out the window. Totally. You just don't have the same time or Mm -hmm. energy or funds Mm -hmm. or guilt gets in the way. Mm -hmm. And and you need a whole new toolkit. Mm -hmm. This is what we need as new mums. A whole new toolkit of things that take zero time, zero energy, that don't cost a penny. But in that brain fog, in that state of, you know, the fried nervous system where you literally can't think straight, I felt like I'd put my finger in a plug like I was just on the fritz. How can you be creative and resourceful to come up with a new toolkit? No, you can't. It needs to be literally given to you on a platter and say, hey, do this. And, yeah. and I was so lucky that that counselor said to me, what's, what's in your toolkit? Mm-hmm. So I stopped watching Days of Our Lives and The Bold and The Beautiful. And <laughs> if, if you're not depressed before you watch those things, you will be <laughs> after it. And I rolled out my yoga mat. And for the first few months, I slept on my yoga mat while Charlotte was asleep. And it didn't matter. If she slept for 15 minutes or 40 minutes, I I would just, I'd lie there and receive. And that's what I needed to do. And then gradually as energy started to circulate again, then I sort of got on all fours and I did a more fluid practice. And then as I sort of reclaimed that sense of vitality, then it was the standing poses. And then it was, if mum was at home while Charlotte was asleep, can I just nip off and Take a little walk on the beach. And give myself permission to do that, and I had the energy to do that. It was like tiny little, small, steady steps.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's so interesting that you were able. You.
1: Once she had said that to you, you knew what to do. You were able to roll out that mat because you knew it. And you were familiar with it, right? So you remembered perhaps. I needed
2: someone to remind me. Yeah,
1: it's the reminding. Yeah. It's the reminding. And I think yoga has been a huge um, part of my life as well. And I began my practice when I was living in New York City. It was a 6.30 a.m. practice every morning before I, I was doing my master's. Mm. And um, I think... Yoga is such a huge piece when I think about body image. It is an opportunity to give yourself a different kind of exercise, right? Really contrary to the hardcore aerobic or cycling or any of, you know, the spinning. Really the antithesis of that actually. And allows you to quiet down and to just be within yourself. And that in itself requires practice, right? Because Mm -hmm. of the mind chatter and all of that Mm -hmm. that you have to go through in order to actually get to a peaceful place on the mat. Mm -hmm. But in terms of body image, um, the acceptance around, I mean, personally, my own physical body and what that meant to um, come to terms with physically Mm -hmm. uh, who I was. Yoga was incredibly instrumental in doing that for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I feel feel really strongly about that as a practice yoga as know, a practice and people learning that early and the fact that that's become more popularized and it's not reserved for an old you know ancient eastern yeah practice it's really it's wonderful that that's become part of all of this um and you also talked about giving things to new mothers, offering them, reminding them of how to take care of themselves. And that is such a vulnerable time, isn't it? That brand new period where you're struggling with learning who, what it means to be a mother, first of all. Mm-hmm. Watching your identity shift into okay now i'm a mother what am i not only becoming but what am i letting go of Mm -hmm. and so there's a loss associated with that also not just our physical bodies and the loss that we're giving up but our emotions Mm -hmm. and uh, we have a little being to take care of so Mm -hmm. how does all that play out
0: hey guys don't forget to check out what else is going on in the just breathe community Now, if you're in London, join us as we bring hundreds of people together for our cultural events, mass meditations, and grand gatherings. Or, join our intimate monthly quiet clubs for an evening of community, connection, and quiet. Just Breathe is a place where everyone is welcome and everyone belongs. Now, if you're not in London, don't worry. There's more events coming soon all over the world. So check out the website to find out more and see some highlights from our past events and, of course, the details for what's coming up soon near you. Visit JustBreatheProject.com and join the community on Instagram at JustBreathe.
1: Do you remember focusing at all? Was that, was your body a place that you
2: were comfortable being in at that time? Can you recall? I have a distinct memory standing in in the front of a, a mirror in hospital a few days postpartum um, and looking at myself and thinking, my goodness, I, I, I still had the, um, the fullness of all of that, you know, the, the fluid retention. My lips felt bigger than normal. I still had this round tummy and I, I felt like I was wearing a nappy. Mm. And I'm looking at myself thinking, I've just had a baby, but I feel like I'm in the form of a baby. Yeah. This is – it was a real moment of, wow. I have to mother this little being when I feel like I'm in desperate need of mothering myself because I've just been through the wringer. And, and I think that was sort of this, this dawning of me of I've got to step up, not only mother my, my sweet cherub, I have to mother myself. And I think for me, that's, that is, that's the thing that I feel so passionate about, empowering people to be able to mother themselves. Mm and extend that tenderness and kindness towards themselves. And it's a very big challenge. It's a huge challenge. And it comes down to sort of how we conceptualise a good mother. Mm -hmm. And and I think to a certain degree, we have to subjugate our needs Mm -hmm. as a mum. Like you can't just roll over in bed when they wake up and cry at night Mm -hmm. and say, not now. Now's Mm -hmm. not a good time. Mm -hmm. You you have to leap into action. Mm -hmm. But for me, I took it far too far along mm. that continuum i totally I, I stopped thinking about what i needed yeah. as an individual because i wanted to give every cell and fibre of myself mm. to my little girl and i wanted to be there for my dad and i wanted to be there for my mum, and i totally ran myself right, right. Yeah, because who was there for you at that time yeah, and yeah. do you know what, my husband my poor yeah. husband yeah. he yeah. was he was there by my side going through this whole thing with me but there was this sense of I just wanted to completely negate my needs because mm-hmm. I just thought that's what it took to be a good mum. Mm-hmm. And one, what I saw was this one poor choice, like I can't be bothered having dinner. I just want to go to bed. Mm-hmm. That poor choice then led to another poor choice in the morning. I'm too tired to, to do that movement. I'll have a coffee. It's this downward spiral. Mm-hmm. And it leads to further and further depletion. Yeah. But conversely, one good choice then leads to another and it doesn't really take much to set the upward spiral so it's just it's it's reclaiming those sustainable healthy choices what i call little micro moments yeah of nourishment they are so doable yeah so doable i saw one
1: of those right on, yeah. on your post which is
2: amazing your micro moments tell us tell us what that means okay i, I think a lot of people think of self-care as some grand elaborate act where you've got to make an appointment with yourself or mm-hmm. take yourself off somewhere special to do something special on your own mm-hmm. that's one type of self-care and mm-hmm. it's really great mm-hmm. but who has time for that mm-hmm. what we need as mums are just little moments of tenderness of calm of soothing that we can dot through our day and, and it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be enormous and doesn't have to
1: cost money and it yeah. doesn't have to it's really about taking those opportunities and finding them in yes. in the regular.
2: Totally. Yes, So that's the way it doesn't take any extra yeah. time. If you can take a little yeah. sort of mental scroll through the day and thinking about what are the things that you're already doing mm-hmm. and how can you imbue those things mm-hmm. with greater tenderness and care, mm-hmm. like the way that you apply your, your moisturiser yeah. yeah. or the clothing that you choose. Maybe it's a garment that you love the feel of or the colour or the texture of or wearing – you know, a a pair of earrings that were given to you by a loved one. So you feel that sense of belonging, connection, and it's a little talisman that carries you through your day. Absolutely. And and
1: what I think about when you're saying that is really what you're addressing is being mindful of what you're doing when you're doing it. And that's a big piece of of self-care. If you're aware of the fact that, uh, you know, I'm going to choose that garment because it's colorful and I remember where I bought it and then it brings you to a memory well that's actually very nourishing isn't Mm -hmm. it so I I like that idea a lot and I think again it doesn't have to take too much time Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to it's just tuning into it I think is what you're saying you're doing them anyways right
2: it's the quality that you bring to it it's the presence that you bring to it it's 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 a core set of skills it's tenderness compassion kindness Mm -hmm. curiosity or all of those things are fantastic mood alchemists Mm -hmm. and it's just looking for ways that you can infuse your day with those Mm -hmm. those qualities i love that that's great and i do think though that whilst comes very
1: naturally to you people do need to understand right and be educated around what that means because half the time we're doing things very unconsciously, we're grabbing something quickly, either to eat or to get dressed. There isn't that connection and that mindfulness Mm -hmm. and that time around being um, intentional around a lot of these things. And and sometimes it's just about slowing down. Mm -hmm. We all know that we don't have the time, right? So how do you do it? How do you
2: make these little micro-moments important when we don't have the time? It's it's in the noticing, it's in the appreciation. And this is where positive psychology has been so helpful for me, in that it's labelling these experiences so that once you give it a label, it becomes more salient, and then you you do it more often, and you do it with greater effect. So Mm -hmm. the skill that I learned through positive psychology is savouring. Now, this is something that we all do. Like, we all enjoy pleasurable moments, but... Mm -hmm by understanding that that is a skill mm-hmm. then you can think yeah. about when you can apply it to different situations and you it's a mu- it's a muscle that you build absolutely and essentially really at the heart of it was mindfulness
1: yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and i wonder again we're having such an interesting conversation and people might wonder well where's that body piece come in but it's actually so inextricably linked because our physical selves and our emotional selves and our spiritual selves again not everybody would say this but I definitely see that connection and Mm -hmm. our our internal and our external worlds by bringing them together Mm -hmm. allow us to feel more comfortable in who we are and uh just be able to walk through the world in a very different way I wonder because I see those two so linked and, and you clearly share that view how would you assess self-esteem when talking about that connection between our bodies and our our
2: souls. It's just inextricably linked, Mm -hmm. isn't it? And I think that's what I learned in that decade working as a personal trainer. There is no separation between mental health, physical health, Mm -hmm. and in how we view our bodies and how we feel about ourselves. Um, And you've mentioned the healing tonic of yoga. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: You know, that for me was where I felt I could truly come home to my body and yeah, this is, this is how we learn to extend compassion towards ourselves mm-hmm. and I love that it's intrinsically joyful movement and it's it's inhabiting our skin and it, it, it transforms how we feel about it and yet
1: and yet there are so many people so pained aren't they by their by being in their physical selves that there yeah. isn't that joy that they get yeah. and that there does come this place where exercise becomes punishment and yeah. food becomes something to watch and be critical of and we have an approach that isn't quite as positive as what you're describing absolutely.
2: right and i do we manage that, that absolutely I've, yeah. I've done the whole punitive exercise thing I, I used to be a figure skater where mm-hmm. you know i felt i had to look a certain way to to Excel in that sport. And to a certain extent, I did. You did. That was part of it. Absolutely did. But I think as I've grown older and with, with a little more kindness, mm-hmm. I think the fundamental shift is starting to appreciate function over form. 100%. And just feeling grateful for what my body allows me to do. Mm-hmm. And now my exercise is, Jeanette, there's enough strife in everyday life that I want my movement to be pleasurable. Mm-hmm. So if I want to run, I'll run. Yeah. If I've had enough of that, I'll walk. Mm-hmm. Or if I just want to get on my mat and just be in my own skin, mm-hmm. then that's how I'll move. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's so much kinder. Yes. It's so much kinder.
1: And what helps you get there, yes. Susie? I think this is the thing. Like, perhaps how much of this is our experience? How much of this is our age? How much of this is having children that we need to care for that we certainly want to extend positive messaging to and not pass on some of that really toxic you know messaging that unfortunately does get passed on without the kind of training that that you've had and without the kind of uh, understanding and personal lived experience how do we begin to Transfer that into the next generation so that they aren't needing to do so much unlearning mm-hmm. as, as
2: we perhaps have done at our stage. Yeah. That
1: is, how, what do
2: you think? I think it comes down to I, I try and encourage my daughter to appreciate just how gifted she is. You know, the fact that this physical body works. There are so many people that would absolutely love the blessings mm-hmm. that she has. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I want her to. You know, when we talk about healthy eating, I'll say to, to Charlotte, we eat this because that's brain food, mm-hmm. that's energy food, that's going to help you focus. And and Teddy too, you know, this is the stuff that's going to help you run fast. Mm-hmm. If you want to grow tall as, as, as the, that little boy, you need to eat this. And they really appreciate mm-hmm. the, the purpose behind things. And how old are your children? So Teddy's four Teddy's and two. Charlotte's just her
1: nine. Okay, nine. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. so young and eating, yeah. you know, being able to grow up with this
2: messaging yeah. at yeah. this time. Yeah. I mean, we to
1: lots of people and that wasn't necessarily the messaging that they got at home around the table right got very different kinds of messaging and things that they hold on to unfortunately and struggle with do you remember your experiences of what was it like to sit at your your table now part of that I think is Mm -hmm. super interesting because there's always a cultural component the fact that you're Mm -hmm. from Australia and food is, is different perhaps for you than it would be for, you know, in different cultures. Can you can you talk to me a little bit about what food meant to you
2: growing up and what your childhood was like with it? So my father was English and, and he has memories of wartime Britain. Mm-hmm. Um and my mum grew up from very humble beginnings. Her father was a farmer, and there was this real sense of you need to Eat everything on your plate, whether you want it or not, whether you're hungry or not, because you are so lucky to have it. And I can I can still hear that voice today. And I want my children to to, to nourish themselves because you know they're taking care of their well-being, but I also want them to be anchoring perspective that there are plenty of children who don't have the food that, that we have. So there's it's perspective, isn't it? Yeah. That's what I want to communicate to my kids, but I also want to encourage them to understand their own hunger and to to express their own preferences, that's fine. You know, that's okay. That's choice. Yeah. But from this place of gratitude and appreciation for for our incredible blessings. Absolutely. So it's really how do we, and it's not easy, how do we
1: make this recipe of, Mm -hmm. you know, coming to teach the next generation, teach our children around what food means, Mm -hmm and counterbalancing societal negative messaging sometimes that we get Mm -hmm. and incorporating our own childhoods and Mm -hmm. what food meant to us and sometimes behaving very differently right reacting and saying actually i didn't like what i was told or Mm -hmm. i that made me respond to food in you know this way versus that way and i think it's just to be more concrete about it i we think about because that story is very Um, familiar in terms of a generation that said you must finish everything on your plate it's really important to do that and now we don't necessarily want to say that still very aware of food wastage and shortage and trying to you know empower our children with that but also to be able to say I've had enough Mm -hmm. you know my appetite my belly is now full Mm -hmm. I feel good I'm satiated but I've I've had enough it's a lot consciously great right, to, to do. It's a
2: great skill yeah. to actually be able to tune in and listen and hear. Yeah. yeah, and if we don't give our kids the space to develop that, you know, it takes them a long time to find it later on in life. Absolutely. What do you think was one of the toughest
1: things that you had to overcome around your physical self?
2: It's a great question. I felt like... And I'm, this is something I still feel like I'm recovering from. I feel like my nervous system got fried through those traumatic experiences, and I'm still mm. trying to soothe and trying to calm mm. my my nervous system down. Mm. Uh, and this is where my yoga practice has been so so powerful. Mm. Um, I can remember. I think it was probably my experience of grief. Mm. I felt like I couldn't take a deep breath. Mm. And I can remember sitting there thinking, okay, I've got loads of different pranayama breathing techniques mm. that I can turn to. But actually sitting and trying to breathe better made me feel more aware of that mm. shortening and that that uh, that feeling stress. of quiet stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was moving with my breath mm-hmm. that I found so, so powerful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it was just the mountain breath, raising your arms mm-hmm. your inhale or getting down on all fours and it's sort of like a freestyle swimming movement. Ah, mm. oh, such a tonic. And I still do that mm. to this day, but, um, so movement's really important movement's to you, right? Movement yeah. for its mood boosting properties, yeah. but yeah. also for it's essentially it's, it's a moving meditation. Yes. So it's how I anchor myself in the now. Mm-hmm. And it's also how I open up my body to receive more complete breath. Mm-hmm. And the mantra there is when I breathe better, I feel better. Yeah. But for me, it's, it's, I can remember in those early days a sense of I want to bounce back like every mum does. Yeah. Um, but that has totally dropped away now. Mm-hmm. It's totally dropped away now. What I love is that my little boy will come to me, he'll climb on my lap and he grabs my soft tummy and it's the thing that calms and soothes him. He, he, he nuzzles in. And I love that that can be his safe place. Mm. And what that's taught me is that this can be my safe place. And really the whole message that I want to be able to communicate to my kids and ultimately my clients is that I'm my own safe place. Mm, And there are practices that, you know, get us to inhabit our bodies that really help us embody that because it's an embodied experience of that, isn't it? And so one of those practices is to... Rub your hands together to feel the warmth of your hands. Place your hands across your heart and repeat the words. I feel my breath come home. Mm, that's lovely, and it's it's such a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. But it's it's an embodied mm-hmm. experience, isn't it? This is not some mental abstraction. This is it's a felt sense. That's it, and I, I, being at home, being safe, being, being your same. own safe place. Yeah, and I
1: think that's so important when. I, we think about all the disciplines out there that we can grab for, right? And the fact that one, one thing does not fit all a one discipline does not work for every person, but also one discipline might not work for us at different times. So they're having that toolkit and being able yeah. to use yoga when you need something or being able to use your self dialogue or whatever it is that you do to calm you and satisfy you and to breathe. I think the, the physical and the movement piece is very big as well for me. And I used to, I was very, very active growing up and it was really important to me. I didn't realize how much I needed it. But when I think now about why I needed it, a lot of that was a mental release. It was about mm-hmm. being able to be physically active in order for my mind to calm and that was a really important time when I actually was very much able to, to connect the two and say, it's not just physical for physical. Yes, it's having an effect physically and it's keeping me well and healthy, but my mind needs that release because I have a very busy mind. And back to understanding how to best help yourself, right? right. And what to be able to pull when you need being both of us in psychology that comes from awareness right it Mm -hmm. comes from learning who you are Mm -hmm. and what you need when Mm -hmm. and that comes from time and age and experience and having negative experiences that we learn from and building up that resilience and also being lucky enough to be able to be aware of it and conscious of it and then teach other people so i'm with you in that serving of Letting other people, you know, into my little secret, if you will, on a lot of levels and how to best help them find their own. So I think that's hugely related and kind of goes back to what you were saying before in terms of helping people without realizing that you're helping them. You know, you did that through your physical change, but they clearly changed emotionally as well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So if you needed to talk or... um, Tell somebody about that connection between when you were working with people. What what would you hear most uh, when you were doing your personal training things? What what would people talk to you about? What were they really looking for, do you think?
2: I think people were looking for a sense of comfort, a sense of self-insight, self-knowledge, and sitting with that. With comfort and owning it. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I think people are also looking for a sense of zest mm-hmm. and purpose and meaning. Um, and, and for a way of just reclaiming a sense of it's okay to nourish me mm-hmm. and taking a little time for that mm-hmm. and seeing how so many different other facets of life would blossom as a result of that investment of time in their, in their well being. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing that you were—they were able to share that with you. I think
1: part part of what I struggled a little bit with the fitness industry or the wellness industry is this idea that actually we don't get to go that deep. We don't get to really understand because we're there for one reason and one reason only, which is to get physically fit. Because often, not always, but because the the end goal is I want to tighten up my thighs. I want to
2: lose you know two stone i want to there, there's a real goal in mind that's where we'd start right You know, the, yeah. the initial um meeting it mm-hmm. was always yeah this is what i want to see these are the changes that i want to see mm-hmm. but you know I, I would work with some of these people two or three times a week and mm-hmm. for some people i would see them over a period of years yeah. and the way that i worked changed over that time so mm-hmm. i did my yoga teacher yeah. training qualifications wow. And I, because I was working one-on-one, mm-hmm. I did a lot of one-on-one yoga. Mm-hmm. And that for me was like, wow, this is body-centered psychotherapy. Yeah, and, and we could, at the beginning of every session, we were like, so where are you at? Mm-hmm. What's happening in your day? What's about to come in the rest of your week? How can we use this time to support you in what you're experiencing now mm-hmm. or to prepare you for what you've got lying ahead of you? And mm-hmm. that was just... I, I think I learned more from that, mm. you know, working one-on-one with people for, for yeah. years on end than I, than I did for my six years at uni. Exactly, exactly, because you really have them one-on-one, captured
1: time, time to discuss and time to talk, and you get to know somebody over that amount of time and perhaps less threatening for than sitting, you know, like this, yes. right? Like, this is it's not yeah. easy to do and sit in a chair and... Unload and unpack where you know
2: you're supposed to, so oh. it's, it's wonderful that you were able to get through that way. I think movement gets, kind of, get, yeah. out of our, get out of our way, Yeah, don't we? Yeah, I am a big
1: walker and I love to walk and when I think about all the talking that happened um, growing up on big walks or um and sometimes i'll do that with my clients i can see if somebody comes in and they're sitting and they're jittery or you know I'll, I'll often start with a physical piece which cross your legs let's sit down let's do some breathing and sometimes it's let's walk out the door yep. and go to the park because this is not going to be effective sitting and talking you're going to be able to talk a lot more if we're moving um so again i, I completely relate to that um. I have an interesting, fun question for you. Mm-hmm. I hope you'll find it fun. Is there a word that
2: people would use to describe you that you wish they wouldn't necessarily use? Oh, absolutely. Guru. I hate that word. Mm-hmm. People call me a self-care guru. Like Everything I have learned, I've learned the hard way by making fantastic mistakes over and over again, mm-hmm. Right. And the image, I can't remember who shared this image with me. It's not mine. I can't own it. But the image is, I am not standing at the top of the mountain pulling you up. Mm. I am climbing my mountain. Mm. You're climbing your mountain and we're in the climb together. Mm. And we are just sharing the journey. Mm. And the fact is, I can can share with you all of my hard-earned insight Mm. because I'm just walking by your side. It's so humble so, and
1: so lovely and nice. It's the truth. truth.
2: Yeah. It's the truth. I'm well, just a normal, fallible human being, right. and um, I'm just lucky that I've, you know, I've had, I've had such a secure childhood. I've I've been blessed with stability, and I've been blessed with the opportunity to get a great education, and and I've learned a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, these these are mm-hmm. these are blessings. I love so, I
1: love how you talk about you know having made fabulous mistakes is that it was that nice the word mistakes. yes it's so interesting to put those two words together because we're taught especially as as women especially as young girls um again in high pressured environments where where school and education was i'm not sure if it was how you felt about that in australia but certainly here in london and watching kids go through the schooling system there's a lot of pressure on Ooh. them lots of external pressure and consequently lots of pressure that they're beginning to put on themselves but making mistakes is something that is so vital and so something that we avoided a lot in in my generation for sure how do we not mess this up how do we do this perfectly how do we find a way so much so that we're not going to take those risks and we're gonna hold ourselves back and if there's something that I would, I'm desperately trying to teach not just my girl, but my boys too, is to, it's okay to mess up, it's okay to screw up, that you, if you're making mistakes, it means you're putting yourself out there and you're trying. If you're not making those mistakes, you're not trying hard enough, essentially. And I think that's a value that I really want to see. And I, I do actually, in this generation, I'm seeing more people taking that chance, and that's a great thing to be able to
2: impart. It is. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the whole thing with, with growth mindset. M- my little boy is learning this in school at mm-hmm. the same time as I'm reading about it yeah. as, a, as yeah. a professional practitioner. But the great thing is that with that, that knowledge, of, okay, so maybe this stuff wasn't modeled for me growing up, but I can be a beginner yeah. at the same time as my kids. Yeah. And that's brilliant. It's the same thing with self-care. So I'm, I'm trying to empower parents with the tools of self-care in the knowledge that this stuff wasn't modeled for them growing mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, parents have a really tough time these mm-hmm. days because we, we do have an awareness of, we want to teach them how to brush their teeth. We want to teach them how to safely cross the road. We're also trying to teach them an emotional first aid toolkit. There's so much pressure on parents to feel like you've got to be a coach. You've got to be this, you've got to be that. We can just be a beginner and model that beginner's mind together, and it's okay for us all to make mistakes. And I say to my kids, "Do you know I'm having a moment here? I'm finding this really hard." I actually take great pleasure in showing my kids where I've I've made a mistake because Mm -hmm. I want them to see that it's okay not to nail it the first time. Absolutely, and this is how we refine and we learn and we grow. And. We build our resilience and we all have a little bit of a giggle, you know, let's build a sense of humor at the same time, right? Yeah, completely, completely. And
1: it's something there is so much, so much pressure on parents to get it all right. And yeah. that yeah. is something that that is very, very challenging. And There's so yeah. many complications perhaps now that yeah. weren't and you know, let's throw on the social media piece, it mm-hmm. exacerbates all of those pressures. Um, and it's something that I, I feel strongly about that I say a lot too, is that there is no mother that begins this journey saying, I want to get this wrong and I want to mess this up for my kids and I want them to have a difficult time. It's not, we are all trying our very best to be the best mothers and be the best parents that we can be for the children that we have. And mm-hmm. admitting those mistakes and being able to say that isn't something that I hear that often, right? It's mm-hmm. in, in fact, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. There's so much worry and angst about getting it right that they don't, that parents won't say, Oh, I messed that up. Yeah. It's, it's, there's so much pressure that they put on themselves and not knowingly, again, only coming from a place of trying to get it right. Mm-hmm. But children pick up on that, don't they? They, do. they themselves internalize this idea that I can't mess up, right? Mm-hmm. I can't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So it's so refreshing to hear you doing that and seeing that and believing that. It's, it's wonderful. Do you
2: have any questions for me? This is such a joy to sit and chat. Um, what I, what I, the approach that I take is to try and encourage a sense of appreciation and gratitude and perspective but for some people, that just feels like they're being needled. And sometimes that's the wrong message because it's it's so deep-seated, this feeling of it's not okay to love yourself. Mm. Yeah? Do, do you know what mm. I'm getting at there?
1: When you say needled, say what you mean. Like,
2: they, they feel like I, I'm, I'm banging them over the head with this you should be grateful piece. Right. Appreciate what you've got. It right. makes them feel even worse right. Right. about right. not loving their physical body. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, mm. the approach I try and take there to counter that is to sort of say, okay, you don't have to love it, mm-hmm. but just be kind to it. Mm-hmm. But even then, sometimes that's not enough because there's still a block. Mm-hmm. How do you help people overcome that? Mm. What's How do you unpick it? Is, mm. it? is it going back to childhood or is it anchored in the here and now? Because I'm not a clinical psychologist, mm. so I would love to mm. hear your insight on how to sort of help yeah people break through that barrier
1: Mm -hmm. great great question in fact something that does come up quite a bit especially with um, the extremes that we find ourselves in in terms of you know the body image world and the body positivity movement and then the um, just the whole mental health component, it, it's it's very uh, multifaceted and layered in terms yep. of how we feel about our physical selves and the messaging, that societal messaging and old societal messaging um, around needing to be a certain way and that has been communicated to us from very, very early on, which is part of why yeah. I kind of go yes. back and ask those early questions. There's a there's a tool that I use um which addresses um it's called the BODI actually and it was created by Susie Orbach and colleagues Mm -hmm. of hers in New York and Mm -hmm. it's going back and uh, looking a little bit about what food meant to you growing up what your body was like for you when you began to first notice it separate from yourself as opposed Mm. to know that place that we're always trying to get back to where there is no distinction between ourselves and our bodies it's just who we are um so it is looking back at our histories around that and trying to understand some of that messaging and unlearning a lot of that as -hmm. well but this idea that our bodies can be, we can begin to look at them in a little bit of a more neutral way to counterbalance that body positivity idea and see. It can be too much, can't it? As too much, and as you say, it becomes a pressure that, yeah. oh, okay, so that I have to love what I look like yes. all the
2: time. And now oh, I'm, I'm grateful great. as well. Oh, now it's we hard to person, more pressure on me to do this. But I also say, and this is, again, contrary, and some people
1: might have an issue with it, but I believe appearance matters. It does matter what we look like. It does matter how we feel about how we look, how we put ourselves together. That's a way of identifying ourselves. It's a way of showing health. It's a, It's a, it, there's hygiene that's incorporated in that. Yes. When I worked in hospitals, one of the first things that we would look at our, our inpatients is have they showered? Have they brushed teeth? Have they, um, you know, taken the sleep out of their eyes? All of these things do indicate a level of wellness. Um, And perhaps, you know, that's an extreme. But if we bring it down to us and our day-to-day, we do need to look at how we look. And we do have to um, enjoy that. Well, I would say that. We don't have to enjoy it. But I actually take a lot of pride in that. And I have fun with it. And there's a creative outlet that comes with that. And that that's okay. It's more than okay. It's who we are. It's how we identify not everybody. There are a lot of people like Zuckerberg who has all a million, of, you know, gray shirts. But that's something that actually he's decided that I don't want to complicate my life and I want to make it very simple and I don't want to think about my clothes and I have too many other things to think about. Well, yeah. he actually made that very clear for himself. So yeah. as you said, I mean, and I, again, function uh, over form is really, really the way that I try to help people come to because we have to see our bodies for what they do for us and how, how fortunate we are to have them, but not to the extent of, you know, making us feel guilty if we don't always feel good because we are human and we wake up and we feel differently at different times. And there are times in our lives where it's going to be harder to feel good about who we are both physically and emotionally and that's okay Mm. and it's that permission as you say and and that allowance to be real with ourselves and to be authentic and to not pretend that we have to do what we have to do all the time sometimes it's just not great I Mm. I mean I I remember having a client who was pregnant um, and she struggled very much she did not want to be pregnant get pregnant and she did And the very fact that she was able to talk about that was the one place where she could talk about that. And that was such a a concept at the time of being able to say, it's okay to not actually like how you're looking pregnant and I know you're supposed to be blooming and you're supposed to do a whole lot of things. She didn't feel that way. And to be able to have the permission to not feel that way and to not look that way in fact, helped her get through that. But if she had had to suppress that and not talk about mm-hmm. that, then then all you get is that messaging. That's it's yeah. not okay. Yeah. So does that answer it? That's it a long winded answer so to your question? I'm so
2: pleased you said that out loud, though. That it's you know physical appearance does does matter. You know, it's it's okay to to want to invest in it, and mm-hmm. I think it's kind of the quality with which you imbue that action. So as I get dressed, it's a way of ex- it, you know extending tenderness towards myself. And I, I might like to put my face on, but I'm not putting a mask on and I'm not doing it for anyone else. I'm doing it because this is how I feel like I want to show up in the world. Absolutely. So it's, it's an assertion of self-worth, self-worth rather yeah. than anything else. Exactly. And that's where that balance piece comes in, right? It's yeah. It's, you are
1: are we taking four hours to put ourselves together because yes. we're afraid to not go out looking a certain way? Or is this a, a balanced approach, the balance for each of us individually, yes. for us taking care of ourselves and, and putting some makeup on? I'm not, you know, it's not about not being able to or not being true to yourself if it's part of your routine and yeah. your self-care and self-nourishment self-nourishment yeah. it's all it's all okay really it's, mm. it's when we get into those extreme places where we have to sort of pull them back into the middle to say you know what maybe we're mm. going off too much on one on mm. one direction let's, let's pull the balance back in and it's not necessarily interesting or sexy or you know fun to talk about the moderation of it all but
2: I think that mm. we have to uh, we gotta aim for that mm. it's not all the time not all the time. I do have another question. Um, my daughter's nine, and at the moment, they all of her friends are into top model, which are these books with stickers and mm-hmm. colouring, and, and I, I look at how far we've come as, as, as people understanding the pressures on, on girls to look a certain way. How, are you seeing any change mm-hmm. out there in terms of what's available for children to explore. Such a good question. From my perspective, I'm not seeing a great deal of change. We're Mm -hmm. still feeding our girls the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe they can buy a T-shirt that doesn't have, you know, Barbie dolls on the front. Mm -hmm. You know, there's more unisex clothing. Mm -hmm. But in terms of artistic expression and and how they think they've got to look, I'm not seeing a great deal of change. Yeah, such
1: a good question. And there is there is movement towards that i'm thinking like uh department stores mixing up toys girl no no girl section pink section and boy section we are trying to mix those things up so that you know we can be represented that it's not gender specific in terms of toys that people get to go for whatever it is that mm. they want so from that standpoint there's a little bit of acknowledgement around the fact that we're trying not to label things too much mm. um and that you know girls can be interested in maths and and boys can be interested in ballet like trying to acknowledge that in terms of the toys and games um and keeping it very limited for i i I know what you're saying um it's challenging no i'm we're working towards but i don't have a really good answer for you i know those top models and i know all of that and The messaging is, it's, it's again, it's insipid, isn't it? It And it's, it's not overt. Um, I'm even thinking about a campaign I was involved in, which was called Surgery is Not a Game. And it was around apps, um, plastic surgery apps for, for girls in that they can sit and play on phones and change their nose and and their eyes. And um, yeah, it was an international um, campaign started by Endangered Bodies And we try to go to Google and to Amazon and to just get them to remove these apps because of the messaging that comes through to these girls that they're thinking that in order for them to be okay in the world, that they've got to change how they look. So I know that's actually putting another thing on top as opposed to showing you something that exists that's helping them. Um, know, Coding camps and things like that that are available where you're seeing girls and boys both there mixing up mixing things up but nothing specific that says you know what the emphasis isn't on fashion or isn't on appearance yeah,
2: looking a certain way and yeah. all of these avatars having this blank expression of you know just to be a, a clothes horse kind of mm-hmm. thing which yeah is. it's a challenge it's a minefield as parents yeah it is it is and again you know what
1: sometimes it's not about and as parents, we get tempted to just take that away or or to you know shut down the social media or any of that. But it's more important to be able to have the conversations around it. So, if you can sit there with top model and you can say, What do you think of this girl? What is she thinking right now? Yes. Look at her face, yes. it why yeah. You why him is it shows Yeah, why right? So, yeah. if you can evoke some of those conversations at least that way, you know your daughter and her friends can begin begin to have conversations or, or even just challenge a little bit of you know, what it is that they're doing in their play. Yeah. Right? So such a good question. I'm going to end with um, if someone were looking for you, mm-hmm. you were lost and someone was looking for you, and I said, I'm trying to find Susie. How would you describe yourself so that they could locate you, or they could find you? in like in the physical world or just energetically. However you want, however sure, you I would decide. describe yourself to someone if they were trying to find you and they couldn't.
2: Do you know what? This is what I say to my daughter, when you miss me, pop your hands on my heart, on your heart, feel your heartbeat, and I'm there. Yeah, that's okay. that's that's it where we are truly in it together. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're a mom, that's, that's an embodied experience because you you have carried your cherub. There's, there was no physical separation. Mm-hmm. They have come from the cells and fibers mm-hmm. of your body, mm-hmm. and even when you birth them, there's still that sense of inseparable nature. But really, that's the same with every human being, isn't it? We all come from the same place. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's just that that shared humanity. That's yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you so so very much for coming. And for taking the time and getting here, and for having this incredibly honest and open conversation around all things body image and yoga and all things that make you
2: you. Thank you so much for having me, Holly. I hope there's something useful in there. That's and I hope people feel inspired to just stop those little micro moments of nourishment through their day. I love them. I'm going to begin myself. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: I really hope that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed interviewing these amazing women and really having a conversation that is so important. See you next time as we talk tough love and the radical views that shape who we are. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate review and subscribe.
0: Don't forget to download the just breathe app available on all Apple and Android devices. And for easy updates for what's coming up in the community, follow us on Instagram at Just Breathe or online at justbreatheproject.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and see you next time.